Right. This is the third week looking at Brown of Wamfrey's pious and elaborate treatise concerning prayer. In the answer of prayer, we're on chapter 3, the nature of prayer. John 14, 13 and 14. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So we've looked at <clears throat> the prerequisites to prayer um, and talked a bit about that. Now we're going to talk about the nature of prayer. And Brown is going to um, move through this basically by first giving us a definition of prayer, which uh, frankly is... If you know Shorter Catechism, question 98, he's heavily reliant on that, it would appear. <coughs> and um, <coughs> question 98, what is prayer? And its answer, uh, which I'll get into in a moment when I give you his definition, because it is so close. That answer to that question is a standard answer that you will find in Western Christendom in particular, but really in, in some sense, in some form, uh, you're, you're going to find the answer that, or the definition uh, in some form throughout Christendom from the beginning. Right, so when he gives this answer, I'm pointing out that his particular uh, phraseology is echoing Shorter Catechism, question 98. But the Shorter Catechism <clears throat> itself is uh, echoing really the history of the church on the matter of prayer. It's giving us uh, a sense of the nature of prayer as understood by believers really from the time of Christ, at least. Yes. So you're saying that pretty much all the Orthodox have helped to this? All of the Orthodox, so let's be clear, <clears throat> the church, Old and New Testament, the church has always had a doctrine of prayer. And the doctrine of prayer, more or less, has always been according to the definition that Brown is giving here. So let, let, let's look at it. Question 36, what's the ordinary definition of prayer? <clears throat> prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ by the help of His Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So, there are several things there. And he's going to go through a number of terms used 
to describe prayer that will, uh, in a sense, flesh this out for us. And so, prayer is, first of all, expressing to God what we desire. Second of all, it must be conformed to His will. Third, it, it has to be offered through the Mediator, through Christ. <clears throat> Fourth, effectual prayer arises not simply from ourselves, but from the Spirit working in and through us. Right? The fifth, it is going to be accompanied with a confession of our sin. And sixth, there's going to be an acknowledgement and really thanksgiving for the mercies of God. So we're going to acknowledge what God has already done. In other words, in prayer, one great thing that we're doing is we are unleashing the um, the pent-up desire between what we are and where we are and really where we ought to be. <clears throat> From a personal standpoint and a corporate standpoint. Yes, and, and, and even Christ in his humiliation um, is moving toward his pa you know his passion his death and resurrection and so he is and and also the establishing of his church he too is moving through history and so there's always even when we take the sinful aspects out of it in time prayer is always going to be necessary just from the point of view of that that lapse between where we are and where history will finally uh, take us, right? Where where everything will finally culminate on Judgment Day. <coughs> so it's um, sort of like if you've ever seen these guys who are uh, rock climbers. Uh, what they'll do is, as they move up the face of, of a, a mountain, they they put little metal hooks, essentially, in the side. They, they'll drive them in, and then they can hang the rope on it and pull themselves up higher. It's, it's, that's kind of what we're doing in prayer. And as we identify these things, where it's sort of like putting hooks in, and we're pulling ourselves up higher... This needs to be brought into greater conformity. That needs to be brought into conformity, and so on. <clears throat> and if we consider that whole definition, we should understand that the duty of prayer involves, for us, involves um, a duty of sanctification. Because we have to ask according to the will of God. Things agreeable 
to the will of God, and that means that we need to be mortified in our own sin, sanctified from our sin and, and the effects of it, the way we think, the way we act, and um, all of that, all of that is in the definition that he's given for prayer really being presumed. So while we're not necessarily going to be touching on all of that, <clears throat> as we, you know, a lot of this we, we covered uh, last time in, in the prerequisites, we covered a bit of, of this. Um, and, and all of it gets some discussion throughout the book. But right now we want to examine prayer having that definition in front of us. We want to examine prayer now in terms of the various terms that we find in the Bible. And the reason is this. Every word the Bible uses to describe prayer, every word expands our understanding, uh, clarifies the definition, or should, and helps us to gain a better, a more firm grasp of what it is that is being required in the duty of prayer. Also, um, what we are seeking to achieve and what God is doing in and with respect to prayer. So there's, there's actually presumed to be a fair bit going on in prayer. Because prayer... Prayer is the point at which we are um, we're showing ourselves and we really are perhaps most if if we're praying aright, we're going to be most conscious of our place individually, our place corporately in the unfolding providence of God and with respect to this much broader uh, vision that we have concerning redemption and the restoration of mankind. <clears throat> so, yeah. with, with some of that in mind, let's begin looking at these uh, prayer, these uh, terms that are used. So, the first term uh, used for pray, okay. 37a. Uh, the first term used is ask. It's asking. 
to whatsoever you shall ask. And with each of these, he gives a number of, of uh, verses. Uh, some of them we can probably take a look at at this time. Uh, Matthew 8.8, 8, Luke 11.13, John 15.16. And there are more. He gives a number from the New and even some from the Old Testament using this term of asking. Right? Everything, you know, what... What service you shall ask? So Matthew eight eight, Luke eleven thirteen, and John fifteen sixteen. Matthew eight eight, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. And Luke eleven verse thirteen. Take that Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? John fifteen sixteen. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, He may give it you. <clears throat> right. So there, there's a lot of language asking, 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 asking. Um, and the import of this term, asking, is that there is a lack. Right? We don't ask for something that we have. So there's a lack and there's even a, a necessity. Because there are a lot of things that we lack, but we really only ask for things that we uh, have some sense that we need. <clears throat> so there's, there is a notion here of, there is a notion here of seeking. Uh, and and it's there's there's this idea that that um, we should be um, begging even with humility. And he points out the word used is the same as the poor cripple when he begs alms in Acts three two. Uh, or when inferiors ask anything of their superiors, such as, uh, he points to Acts 2.20. The point is that all, in all of these cases, there's an idea of a humble supplicating, that those who are asking, to some extent, are assuming the posture of a beggar. <clears throat> we ask, because we don't have it and because we perceive some need of it. Right? And furthermore, he's suggesting, I think, here that we ask because it's something, but these are things that we cannot provide apart from asking. As long as we think 
that we can provide all that we need temporally, spiritually. We're not going to pray. But if you think you can attain to what is necessary apart from God, if you think you can do it in your own strength, you're not going to pray. Asking presumes a certain amount of humility. Failure to ask, failure to pray is conversely then um, a sign of spiritual pride. And it's damning. Right? If you won't pray, if you refuse to pray, you know, look, and, and really, um, if you were to look at the churches, you know, if, if churches have prayer meetings, they're sparsely attended. People seldom wish to gather to pray with others. On the other hand, if they have a Super Bowl party, it, they'll, they'll fill the building. Uh, put on something that is entertaining. You can fill the, the building. Uh, engage in an exercise that presumes that you are a needy person. Uh, your pride won't let, let uh, you do that, right? It's going to hold you back. Now, that's the way things tend to roll with people. Um, and apart from the Spirit working in people, they're going to resist praying. So they, they resist it at, really at every level. And you know, when people won't pray with you in, in a corporate setting or in a, a more public situation, they're almost certainly not praying by themselves. Because it's the same thing that's in the way, the same impediment is there, it's pride. So, <clears throat> asking, uh, asking, you're acknowledging your low condition. You're acknowledging the position of the beggar. Let's move on to the second term then. Uh, 38, what's the second term used to praying and, and its import? 38A, uh, seeking. Well, there's another one. And um, here... He directs you to another series of um, passages. Uh, Matthew 7, 7. Seek and you shall find. Uh, and also in Daniel 9, 3, we read that Daniel set his heart to seek by prayer and supplication. And so on. So, what does this term import? It imports a seeking with sturdy, I should with um, with study and care, and a vehement earnestness. And in proof of it, interestingly enough, he first First Peter five eight, where Peter says the devil is roaming about seeking whom he may devour. Right? 
The devil is what? He's studious. He's actively willing. Yeah, he's. He, there's an earnestness in what he's doing. It's evil, but it's there. Right, so he's careful about it. <clears throat> Brown goes on to say then that we learn from this term seeking that there's something in prayer of an inquiry. An inquiring, a searching, hunting after. Uh, and, and that implies something's missing that we must have. Again, the idea of the deep want of the soul is involved here. We are in need of something. <clears throat> Right, 39, what's the third term used of praying? What does it import? The third term is knocking. Again, uh, he goes to Matthew 7, knock and it will be opened unto you. And... Um, Interestingly enough, he, uh, he, he points out that this word, uh, it comes from a word signifying the horn of a beast. And it, it, this word knock imports the, uh, the uh, uh, striking or knocking with force like a beast does with his horn. So, there is, in this knocking, he, he says, there's this idea of, of um, an importunity. An earnestness. Right? There's, there's a, a constancy and a perseverance, even, in this knocking. Knocking and knocking, not... Not quitting, right? When you're knocking, the idea is you're you're going to continue. You're going to proceed along this course until there's an opening. You know, when you knock on a door, uh, you keep knocking, especially if you think someone is in there is going to answer. You're going to keep knocking because you know eventually... Someone will come to the door. So that's the idea that is involved here with, with um, knocking, is that there is this importunity that we are going to keep pressing the matter until we get an answer. So again, what you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about the idea, the notion, the soul is uh, sensible of 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 um, a lack, a want, 
<clears throat> and that it is intent on pursuing the, the means of acquiring what it desires. This is knocking. So when we when we think about um, this term, <clears throat> we are reminded again of of the um, the necessity of the soul, but we're also reminded with the term knocking of the need for a constancy. Uh, that it, prayer is not simply um, a one-off kind of thing. You know, I prayed once for X, Y, or Z, and and uh, that's all. There seems to be an idea tied up with this that, you know, you keep praying until you get resolution with respect to uh, whatever it is, the object of which... You, you're praying. Right? You want to get some kind of resolution there. <clears throat> so, the term knocking is uh, is actually um, telling us that there's going to be real prayer is persevering. Real prayer is uh, engaged and focused on attaining, like Jacob wrestling with. The yeah, we're we're going to come to that. I think that's one of the terms he uses. I forget now, um, but I believe that's one of the terms uh, that's coming up here. Uh, he has a number of terms, but it's it yeah it's it's a, a similar idea. So these these terms understand as we go through these terms, they're not don't think that. Uh, one or two of them are going to be uh, excluding things said in other uh, or, or by other terms. You know, there there's overlap in all of these, and that again is uh, it's certainly deliberate, but it's also, I think. Based on the the um, the nature of prayer, uh, there's going to be this overlap because these words that are being used of it are like so many uh, so many actions encircling and um, and and holding uh, this idea in attention. So there, the, each one is holding it in one position and looking at it in one position, but as we move maybe from the central idea, we can see how it's related to other terms as well. And, and I say that because he's got, um, I believe, 14 terms here that he's going to give us in, in the chapter. So, uh, the fourth term, number 40, <clears throat> What's the fourth term, and, and what is what does this import? This one, I think, is uh, very interesting 
one to contemplate, and that is, uh, it's expressed by lifting up the soul. We want to look at Psalm 25, 1, Psalm 86, 4, and 143, 8. Psalm 25, 1, Psalm 86, 4, and Psalm 143, 8. Psalm 25, verse 1. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Psalm 86, 4. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift my soul. Psalm 143, 8. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. And so he says... <clears throat> uh, the import of this is in right prayer the soul's lifted up as a heaven uh, lifted up to heaven as, as a heave offering a sacrifice to the Lord so there's a consecrating and offering up to him which is in that definition what is prayer? question 98 prayer is an offering up of our desires. <clears throat> and the way we offer up our desires is by lifting up our souls. And, and, and as Brown points out, prayer, and, he, and he's alluded to this, and uh, he's going to get into this more, but prayer, one thing prayer does is it creates a space wherein we can begin to separate ourselves from this world. In other words, given our nature, particularly the fallen aspect of it, Brown points out that we're very often clogged with the cares of this world, uh, in, in a sense distant from God, because our attachments are so much here. <clears throat> Lifting up our soul implies going out of ourselves. That's why fasting is so important for prayer. That's exactly why fasting is, is so helpful uh, in prayer, because it it is, in fact, a releasing of the appetites from the earth, earthy orientation. Right? You're crucifying that. Uh, so in, in certain times, fasting can be, be very helpful. Because again, what are, ultimately, what are you trying to do in prayer? You're trying to lift up your soul. You're trying to remove your, your thinking, your orientation, your, um, your rest your comfort zone. <clears throat> this world contains all of that, doesn't it? And it's very easy for us to be to allow ourselves to be, to sink into all of this as into a, a deep mire. And Brown uses that language here when talking about this. Um, we don't have the heavenly frame 
that we need. Prayer is setting aside some time to refocus in that time there's a space to really to reframe everything we go and when we go to God in prayer we go from a place where we have been saturated with the, the cares and, and concerns of this world, weighted down with all of these um, concerns. And on top of that, <coughs> the problem we have is this. That, that would be difficult enough just by virtue of being a creature with relation to the Creator. But we have the additional burden of being in a fallen state. And that means that our desires are not only naturally inclined but by reason of the fall there is this reinforcement we've doubled down on our earthly or earthiness and uh, we have in fact an added obstacle between us and a sense of the heavenly So this idea of lifting up our soul, and look where that, the verses that we, we just went through, um, these verses appear again and again where? In the Psalms. Why? Because the psalmist is praying, and in each case what he's doing is acknowledging, <clears throat> he's acknowledging he, that he is tethered to this world and in order to be heard aright to receive an answer to prayer he needs to come untethered from this world and he needs to uh, find some something outside of this world and that's he's reaching for that when he prays to God through Christ as we uh, Saul in the in the definition. All right, let's move on to the fifth term used to praying and, and what it imports. Forty one. <coughs> the fifth term is a pouring out of the heart before him, before God. You want to look at Psalm sixty two verse eight. Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Yeah, so it imports uh, the goodwill, cheerfulness, the alacrity the soul has or should have when praying. 
we approach, when we pour out our hearts, we're, you think of it as, um, <clears throat> before we pray, our hearts are like blocks of ice, and in praying, that ice is melted so that we can pour out what is in us. We become rightly affected. Quick question. Toward God, yeah. That's part of the whole point of, like, you know, if we avail ourselves, the Spirit will bless it, right? Like, we may not want to pray, but after maybe five or ten minutes of praying, we start to, like you said, the heart starts to melt because the Spirit's working His operation in you, but but you're, well, you're doing yeah, your part, right? That's certainly, that's certainly um, presuming that we are utterly dependent, like the definition, on the Spirit working in and through us, right? But you can't just expect the spirit to take over and, and just <clears throat> automate you to do it. You have to, you have to do an act of your will. Do your we duty. Have to, we have to bend spirit. our wills to toward that. By faith, we're bending into that. So you don't necessarily begin feeling that way. But but the point is, yes, you're you're. If you're asking this, will my feelings follow? And the answer is, when you prayed through that, yes. That's exactly what he's saying. Because effectual prayer is going to come forth like as if the ice is melted and you're just pouring out water. Like the, the affections, the rightly affected thinking in prayer will all be there. You know, until, that, until there's that flow... Um, you're probably going to pray as under constraint. You're not going to uh, you're not going to perceive that kind of ease. And so, whether that comes after, uh, let's say, <clears throat> the developing of a habit of prayer uh, after some time, or simply during the course of praying on a particular occasion uh, you want you want to get to the point where there's something about that prayer that's just like pouring something out it, you're, you're not you're not sitting there in, in a sense having to break it up or scrape it out it's just coming out it's gushing out it's almost natural in a way. <clears throat> well, it's flowing out of you. And you're right. If it's flowing out of you, it's because the Spirit is, you know, working in you, warming you but, to that. But it's because you're doing your part, by the grace of oh, God, to do your duty, right? That, that was my whole point. Like, yeah, we, we can't just expect the end of the means without doing our part and obtaining them. Like, if if you don't... God, we, we need to pray for the for the grace. We need to... Uh, we can't expect that God is going to simply crown our efforts apart from Christ. But we do have an expectation and a promise that if we pray in His name and we, we are diligent in that, that yeah, we, we will uh, experience this because this is what it is to have the Spirit working. To be able to pour out your heart. To be able to approach God with that goodwill and cheerfulness, right? That 
you wouldn't have had before. <clears throat> so there's no there's no constraint. But even even the the sort of forcing yourself to bend through that constraint, so to speak, the spirit is working in you in order to even do that. Right? I mean, yeah, it's just... You, yes. I mean, if you get to that point, you, you can say pretty well, yes. Because somebody who's not concerned to even push through that, it's pretty probably not saved. Right? That, you know, with the idea that sort of everything, everything in Christianity is handed to me on a golden platter. That was obviously going to yeah, be when some there's, when there's and, a when there's a certain amount of fatalistic, right? Because uh, like Paul approach, talks about the good, the good, then, and the evil warring within him. Yes. And when you know when you reach, if you if you have fallen into this sort of fatalistic, whatever will be will be, uh, that's not Christianity. It's Islam. You know, you're really a Muslim. Well, we believe in predestination, but we. We don't believe that God is predestinating ends apart from means, and He's a, He's, among other things, supported means means of prayer. And <clears throat> how do we know that we are in the the um, actual exercise of prayer? That is, that we've moved beyond what is by rote. One of the things Brown is saying is you're going to pour out your heart. That's why one. Of, that's one of the terms used. And, and that's kind of one of the things where, like, I've heard people say, like, on one hand, praying is the easiest thing to do for a Christian because, in one part, it's part of your nature. You're going to pray, but at the same time, it's also one of the hardest things you're going to do because you have to actually. There are some prayers where, you have to, like you said, you have to keep praying, to keep knocking, to keep believing. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> again, it, God, this ties in with discussions we've had elsewhere on, on the issue of covenanting, but God is looking for a voluntary service from us. He doesn't, uh, you know, it, this is not simply about a, a matter of constraint. <coughs> All right, let's look at the sixth term. Uh, sixth term used, 42, 42a, is prayer is called a directing and looking up. And I think very rightly he says the import of this is the soul has to be directed Godward because all help and salvation Ultimately, all help and salvation comes from God alone. <clears throat> so there can be no, <clears throat> there can be no, um, no real prayer if we're not really looking to God. <clears throat> In other words, the difference between complaining and praying has to do with where the, really the direction. You know, if you're directing it to God, um, you're looking up to God, you are confessing that what you desire, 
the thing that you're seeking can only come from God. And so, the soul... The soul has to be ordered in praying. You know, we have to approach this in an orderly fashion to some extent. So this is all where the fasting, meditating on the word, all the stuff, drawing yourself away from the world, focusing. Yeah, this is also why, and we'll get into this in this book too, why Christ gives us that pattern of prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Mm. To give us a pretty good um, sense of what what it is and how it is, he would have us to approach and pray unto him. Right? <clears throat> the seventh term used to praying and its import, 43. Uh, the seventh term used to praying is talking or speaking with God. And that imports um, a freedom and a familiarity which is allowed in prayer. <clears throat> so, again, you know, there are people who who have such high views of God that they actually end up having very low views of God. Uh, they don't view him in friendly terms or familiar terms. Uh, and that is defeating the very spirit of Christianity. <clears throat> right, The idea that Christ calls us, if we're believers, he calls us friends and brethren. Uh, that idea. So, speaking to God Brown says that presupposes that there's a certain um, composedness and calmness in the soul in praying. Right? You when you speak to someone, you talk to someone, that's generally arising from uh, a position, a point of of self control. Right? You're you're not feeling out of control, you feel relatively calm and composed, you're able to express yourself, and again, going back to that idea, you know, of uh, setting aside time, meditating on the word, fasting and all of that, yeah, all of these things are going to help, what, calm the soul, bring you to a point where you're more composed, because there's more deliberation. And that is being implied in this idea of speaking with God. 
We're not yelling at him. <clears throat> We're not desperately crying out. And that's not to say that there's not a place for that. But prayer, ordinarily, generally, um, we have to see there's there's this familiar uh, this familiar talking going on. You know, we're going to talk to God as our friend because if we're believers, we've been reconciled to Him in Christ. You know, we're not. It's not like coming before someone, like, like coming before the judge who's going to condemn you. That may be the proper position of the unbeliever <clears throat> because it accurately represents where they are. But for the believer, it's not really the place where you should be. And that's why I said it's like a low view of God that when you think of God as just a Yeah, it really, I think a lot of times people think they have this very high view of God, but they're so scared you actually have a very low view of God, and, and it's the view of the unbeliever. Mm. You know, we should be reverential toward God, but remember, in the Bible, and, and we're going to talk about this really in, under the next term, but, you know, Abraham argues with God. All right? Abraham uh, keeps negotiating to get what he hopes is not only his desire, but he hopes that his desire and God's desire are intersecting there. <clears throat> so, eight, what's the eighth term used in praying? What does this import? And we'll talk about it a little bit more in the third point here. But the eighth term is wrestling with God. And um, the word wrestling, striving, is actually related to the term uh, for the word agony. And the import of it is that there's great anxiety, fear, of affliction of mind, like when you're wrestling with some great difficulty. So there's this idea <clears throat> that you are, in a sense, uh, struggling and 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 um, contending, even. And he points to Jacob wrestling with God, in, basically in in prayer. Uh, in fact, in Hosea twelve four. Uh, we're told that he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. <clears throat> so we know that in this wrestling, there's praying going on. And there is an agonizing. The wrestling... Um, that, we're, that this word teaches us is it's, it's really, he says it's teaching us that when we pray, 
we're going to meet with great opposition. We're going to have a lot of resistance. And some of it's from within. <clears throat> or inward corruption or unbelief. Some of it's from without. Satan and all the temptations, the world, the flesh, and the devil, all of that. <clears throat> but we need to enter into praying, <clears throat> understanding that we must prevail. <clears throat> right? We're, we're doing this in order to prevail. Um, recently, I'm, I'm trying to think where I saw this or heard this. Uh, but I heard or, or read someone expressing uh, expressing this idea this way, on your knees like a man. But the idea was that you're, this is where you're fighting is going on. You're, you're going to be wrestling. And you're wrestling because you've got this inward corruption going on. You've got this outward... Uh, this outward spiritual warfare going on. So you have to strive. You have to use all of the earnestness, all the seriousness of heart and mind that you can to focus that on this matter of praying. You're wrestling. You know, and again, why? Well, you, you're striving for the mastery. <clears throat> Like a like an athlete, he gives the example that, which is an example that Paul uses of these athletes in the Olympics. Right? They, what are they doing? You know, they're beating down their flesh. They're harnessing all of their desires. They are <clears throat> ignoring really everything around them in order to bring themselves to a point where they can actually prevail in this contest. So there's wrestling. And, you know, I, I don't think you can dismiss from that the idea that when you pray, you are meeting with an adversary, in a, in a sense, right? You've got adversaries in, within, and without. But you have to persevere. All right, the ninth term used to pray, 45. <clears throat> the ninth term is uh, taking hold of God. We want to look at Isaiah 64, verse 7. Isaiah 64, verse 7, And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. Yeah, so, Brown says, look, this, this idea of taking hold of God 
Uh, this imports great importunity, the using of what he calls holy violence, and refusing to let him go when he threatens to be gone. In other words, when we approach God in prayer, we are reaching, as we lift our, our, our souls to heaven, as we wrestle our way out of the clutches of all these earthy, earthly concerns, we are reaching up and trying to take hold of God. We're trying to seize Him. We're trying to grab hold so that we can get Him to do what we would like Him to do. <clears throat> It's sort of, um, the language is the kind of language that we might use if you uh, have a, a group of people and you want something of one particular person in that crowd, uh, what are you going to do? You're probably going to go into the crowd and grab that person by the shoulder. I mean, why? Because you want something. You know, you want to tell them something, you want something from them, whatever. <clears throat> well, that's what we're doing, in a sense. When we are reaching out of ourselves, we're stretching forth our hands, and we're trying to lay hold on God. Even to the point, as he says, of, of availing ourselves of what he calls a holy violence. We're not going to allow ourselves to be um, defrauded of, of what it is we're seeking in prayer. We're going to take hold of God in the way that he said we can take hold of him, by prayer. All right, the tenth term used to pray. <clears throat> 46. There's a tenth term used which is meditating. There are a couple of verses he points to for the, um, the use of this term. One is in Genesis twenty four sixty three, Genesis twenty four sixty three, and also um, in Psalm five one. Genesis twenty four, verse sixty three, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. In Psalm five one. <clears throat> Psalm 5, verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Yeah, so what, what, is, what is it that's happening? Uh, <clears throat> we have... We have this idea of Isaac going out to meditate or, or pray. And he says the reason... This word is used is to uh, teach us that prayer 
is not simply a matter of uh, the lips, what we say, but perhaps more importantly, it has to do with the exercise of the heart. <coughs> so, meditation. What are we doing in meditation? Well, meditation, we are fixing our thoughts upon something. So we meditate upon the Word of God, we're fixing it on the Word of God, and we're doing that in order to uh, really to drive all of our thoughts, all of our affections, all of our inclinations. We want to drive toward God. We want to drive them to be conformed to the will of God. So that when we are praying, uh, we, we are doing so according to His will. So meditating is the way that we really, probably one of the best ways to change the way you think fundamentally about anything <clears throat> is to meditate. Um, but you need to avoid meditating on the wrong kinds of things. You know, frankly, a lot of the entertainments of the world are just that. They're meditations on the wrong kinds of things. Right? They're designed to fix your thinking, fix your thought on something which is not good and laudable and just and, and, and is going to help change you from glory to glory. <clears throat> <clears throat> and as we're we're seeing uh, the evidence growing, you know, with respect to all of these these um, the social media and all these devices people are using, it's actually destroying the capacity for people to meditate because it's destroying your attention span. And you have to have an attention span in order to meditate. Right? You need to be exercising your attention span. <coughs> so watching watching short video clips in, in some respect is probably worse for your attention span than the pollution of watching a film. Because a film at least is going to demand mm. you know, longer attention. Um, we've gotten to a point where now it's going to be focused on the wrong thing almost inevitably because of of the uh, the nature of the beast but <clears throat> the fact is that uh, we've not only have we corrupted people uh, through the entertainment industry now uh, there's seems to be this active and ongoing onslaught to destroy your ability to meditate. And yet, here we have meditation as one of these words that the Bible uses to express the idea of prayer. And how are you going to meditate if you can't focus, if you can't um, 
maintain a thought on something for more than, you know, I don't know, 30 seconds or a minute. You show you, you'll almost never even get past that initial struggling phase because to stick with praying for five or ten minutes is a Herculean effort. Yeah, I mean, pray, I mean med- meditation is going to make... <coughs> the ability to meditate will make all of that wrestling easier, all of that um, lifting up of the heart easier, right? all of the things where these other terms where we're you know, what we're trying to do, take hold of God and all of that. Well, you know, what if I start out and my heart isn't flowing in that direction? <clears throat> if I can't meditate, I'm never going to get beyond that. You know, I've, I've hit the roadblock and, you know, I'll do what I, what, what I do. I change the channel. You know, I, I move on to the next video. So what am I going to do? Am I going to pray? No, probably not. We have to think about it. This is there's so many things deceitful about the world and the way the world operates. You know, we we don't think about it most of the time. But Satan is the god of this world, uh, and. He's the god of the fallen world. Uh, he is trying to retain a kingdom that he is destined to lose at every level. He does so not just by direct attack. But if I can, you know, if I could make you incapable of appreciating anything about the Bible or Christianity, um, that would be so much the better, right? I mean, if I could convince you that the Bible is not true, well, some somewhere along the line you might be convinced the Bible is. But if I can incapacitate you to even be able to entertain the argument one way or the other, you know, I've I've got a better hold. <laughs> so this idea of meditating is important uh, because it really, I think, it, it, Brown is right. It has a lot to do with the fixing of the heart and and where the heart is settled and, and the direction uh, of the inclination of the heart. Um, prayer has to proceed from a proper heart attitude, and that is heavily dependent on this idea of, of um, meditating. All right, let's move on to the 11th term used to praying, 47. Uh, 47a, the 11th term is prayers compared to odors and incense. <clears throat> And he points out that this, the importance of this is it shows the preciousness and excellency of prayer. As well as the gracious acceptance of it from God. But consider that 
these odors and incense and all of that, um, these were in religious worship, particularly in the temple and so on. These were the result of very costly endeavors, right? To make the incense, um, it was a relatively costly affair. So, we know from the comparison that there's something precious about prayer. There is a peculiar excellency about prayer. I would say there's also in all of that, um, you know, because he does talk about the idea of gracious acceptance. One thing about incense and odors is they, it's talking about, you know, this, the ointments and things like that that were being used in the temple. But an odor or the smoke of the incense rises without. Uh, but it rises really of its own accord. There's something about the nature of it. And there, I think, is an idea to fix upon as well. That prayer is of such a nature, real prayer, when you're really praying, just like when he talked about that flow. When you're really praying it really is ascending. By its very nature, it's going to ascend. There's nothing that can hold back real prayer. So praying, learning to pray right, is very important. Because that real prayer cuts through everything in its way, right? It cuts through everything in this world. it, It is going to lift out of this world and it will reach God. There is nothing that can that can hold that back. Now, there are other things about this idea of incense that he points out and are equally true. Um, it, it shows us that prayer has to be, as we said in the definition, has to be offered up um, through Christ. You know, these, this incense is uh, typical. It is uh, pointing to the um, the sweet savor that arises from the sacrifice of Christ in his crucifixion, which God is going to accept graciously. But the our prayers are all, uh, according to Scripture, they're all <clears throat> um, they're all <clears throat> scented by the sacrifice of Christ. So we, when we say that these are these things are ascending, they're ascending really on the sacrifice of Christ. That's what makes them travel heavenward and makes them unstoppable. 
So it's kind of like, like you know, like in uh, in politics, when when they pass a bill, there's always a, those little side things in the caught up within the bill that get passed. You know, like the state will get, you know, whatever it needs because that's attached to that main bill, right? right? It's almost like our prayers are attached to the main to what bill. he's done, to what he's the work he's done, and his own intercession. Yeah, and so they all partake of that in that regard. All right, 12. The 12th term, I should say, used to praying in number 48. And what does this import? Uh, the 12th term is in- inquiring. <clears throat> and he points out that 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 imports our ignorance of something. And he suggests a number of things, by the way, here. He says it could be uh, our faith in God's omniscience, our confidence in being informed by him, our dependence on him for light and direction in the particular, or even a profession of our purpose to receive, believe, and follow his counsel and direction. But inquiring, you know, that that's tied in with supplicating, uh, which again, our we're inquiring after something, there is this idea that we lack it, right? We, we need it, maybe. So all of this is, again, important. We're, we're going to, God will be inquired of. For, for what? God, God will be inquired of um, Precisely because we are limited, we are um, we're mere creatures and fallen creatures at that. So this inquiry, I think, is is um, certainly not only a display of our ignorance. I mean that, that we're acknowledging our ignorance with regard to uh, what God would would do for us and would have us do and so on. It also does actually have a lot to do with our dependence on Him. We inquire because we don't know. We just don't know. And that's a big part of it. We don't know how to pray as we ought. Which is why the disciples asked Christ to teach them how to pray. Right, 13. 13th term used in praying. Uh, question 49, 13th term used in the import of it. The 13th is really not so much a term <clears throat> as it has to do with bodily gestures. And so what are they? Well, Exodus 9, 29, spreading forth the hands. 
Job 11.13, stretching out of the hands. Exodus 17.11, and he gives several others, lifting up of the hands. Ephesians 3.14, bowing the knee. Deuteronomy 9.18, falling down. So there are a number of gestures that the Bible uses to uh, to describe praying. Now, the import of all of that is what? To point to what ought to be the frame of the soul. Right? In, in those gestures of the hands, what are we saying? <clears throat> well, we're pointing to heaven. We're... we're um, we're basically saying I'm empty-handed. Uh, when we're kneeling, we're we're confessing a certain amount of humility, and so on. Falling down, again, humility, prostrating ourselves before God. Um, so these are all things that are really informing us how our souls should be conformed in this matter of prayer. And we should be approaching God humbly in utter dependence upon himself actually for even all that we're seeking. All right, and then 50, the last, the 14th term used to praying in its import uh, is crying to the Lord. <clears throat> and again, here he makes a bunch of uh, or I should say he gathers a bunch of terms, uh, crying aloud, making a noise, crying with a voice, groaning, weeping. Um, there's a whole bunch, and he has a whole bunch of verses. He says that the import of this is to convey um, a sense of our hazard and the greatness of the necessity we're in and even the danger should God delay to answer. So we're praying why? <coughs> we're praying because we are in great need. We don't have it all. We don't know it all. We don't. Uh, we don't know the end from the beginning. But God does. And at every point, He would have us to demonstrate our utter dependence on Him. Right, so that's the nature of prayer, uh, particularly as, as uh, seen in light of several terms and, and I guess some gestures and things of that sort. Next time, uh, we're going to go over some of the considerations that Brown has 
as a result of meditating upon those things.